Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at GoSBLive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at GoStonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at Facebook.com slash GoStonebridge and our Instagram at SB Church. So we like things to change <laughs> and, and already it's changing up here. That's because we have a new series that's going to start next week where we're going to talk about truth and why truth matters and it leads up to uh, Easter and Jesus' death and resurrection. So you, if, you, if you know some of the verses there, you know how it's going to fit together in a lot of ways. And so we wanted it to a different look. And so there might be some things that go, don't go right today because uh, we're still finding out what is plugged in and what's not. And, uh, and I may not be plugged in at some point and all that, but it, for me, it's a lot of fun because uh, there's some crews and different people and volunteers that come and work and they work all week on this, building all this stuff and doing all this stuff. And as far as I know, none of them are still hanging up there. But if you hear a voice, there may be one of the volunteers may be still up there somewhere with all the work that they've done. This series, I love this because when you start talking about building family values, I mean, we all can relate. There are certain things that we want to build our life upon. And uh, families are characterized by, you know, what matters to that family. And and lives are characterized um, the same way. What matters to you? What what counts? What are you going to continue uh, to pursue? And so today I want to talk about um, how you finish your race in life, uh, because it certainly makes sense. I, I'm not a big cliche person. Um, I was, uh, because if you, if you were trained to be a preacher, you were taught cliches. I mean, I know, you can laugh, that's all right. That's just what you're taught is how to talk uh, that way. And, uh, and I, was, I was dying as we've worked on this because the last four sermons kind of sound like cliches. I'm like, oh man, you know. So, you know, we talked about uh, four weeks ago, uh, and I'll, you know, there, you do cliches because you can remember them, right? So it's just so that for a memory thing, and I can't remember the, you know, the ones we just did, just to let you know, say it doesn't work, I guess. Uh, so, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we talked about, you know, how to fight your battles last week. We talked about how to frame your circumstances, and we talked about how to fill your life. And so today we're going to talk about how to finish your race. When I was... Uh, running track. My brother got me to go in the ninth grade, run track, and he was always the one that pushed me into things, and I'm forever grateful to him for that. And so uh, I could not, you know, I wasn't really a sprinter. I wasn't that fast. Uh, As a ninth grader, they weren't sure, you know, how much distance you were going to run. I got a chance to to do pole vault, and I I know this because my son, he became a pole vaulter, but, um, and I asked one time, why is he a pole vaulter? He said, well, we let everybody want to try pole vaulting, try it. You run with the pole, you, you hit the pit with the pole, you go up. And the ones that weren't afraid to c- try to turn upside down and go over the bar, we say, okay, you're in and the rest of you are out. And I said, well, that, I was the one out just when I did it. Because they gave me an aluminum pole back then. I, I ran, I hit the pit, went up, and I held onto the pole. I'm like, what do you mean? Turn upside down and go over the bar. That, that's dangerous. Why would you do something like that? So I went all the way up and came all the way back down on the pole, you know? And I thought I should be given points for that, but they didn't agree to that. So they, they put me in the 440. Back then that was a 440 uh, yards. It's a 400 meter now. And that was considered more of a mid distance race. Now it's a sprint. And one of the things I learned is the coaches were impressed with how you finished. 
So I decided, why run hard, but finish fast? And I thought that would impress them. Then I learned this, the coaches are smarter than that. They're like, okay, yeah, you finished well, you ran really fast at the end and crossed the finish line, but you're like 20 seconds behind everybody else. And they don't give awards, you know, for how you finish in the sense of your speed or how you start, it's, it's the overall time, right? You realize that in life? There's, there's a way that it's measured and there's a way that, that rewards, you know, come in, in life. And uh, so you have to run the race. And I always tell people, listen, you can't finish well if you haven't started the race, if you haven't trained for the race. And that's part of the values that we talk about. And then part of it is, and then you want to finish the race. Because nobody gets an award if they don't finish the race. Paul, Paul likes to talk about that as one of his examples also. He uses the, the games in his day. And he says, you know that if you don't finish, you don't get a, you don't get a, a reef, any kind of... Um, recognition and all because that's that's the whole point of it and and it is for us also but I want to give you a little bit different perspective on um, finishing the race from from a place in the Old Testament before I do that I want to kind of ask a few questions or get you to to think about a couple things first of all can you think of someone that you really admire you know how they live their life and you say I, I would love to be like that person you don't have to point at them in here or call their name but can you think of someone like that yeah, you probably can because we all had people like that in life that we we liked some things about them and then, then the second question is this so what are those things that you liked about them did you like the fact you know that they were they were trustworthy that you know they would tell the truth that that you know they were successful you know in the in the things that they did or they really cared about people uh, maybe you, you admired about them that you know they weren't so hung up on themselves so much and it sort of freed them to to be a different kind of person. Yeah, of course. And then I did put it in your outline, this little hint, um, it's in a different color in your outline, it's a little bit smaller. And that is the best way for you, for me also, to affect my world or my generation or the, the, the part that in time that I live in, the best way to do that is to finish your race well. That, that you're still running, you're still pursuing, you know, at the end, the things that you knew were important at the beginning. And, you, and you, you don't quit, you don't give up, you haven't become disillusioned, but you're still pursuing um, those things. And then, then one last question as we look at this. What if God is preparing your life for a great finish? What if God, you know, he has plans for you? And for your life. And I know a lot of people think, well, I'm not sure I believe that or I'm not sure I know what those are. And I, and I think there are reasons for that, sure. But, but the Bible seems to have this message and this, this understanding, and especially this story we're going to look at, you know, that, that God has plans for you. And, and the problem is the plans that he has for you and, and what your life would mean and how it would matter and what the difference it would make are not necessarily what the culture thinks you should be. Might not be even what you think you know you should be. But God has his own, his own plans. And of course, God is willing to work with those things and try to accomplish those things if you and I decide, yeah, I'm with you. I understand what's important. I understand what you value. Not, not perfect. Plenty flaws, you know, in all of us. But we're kind of attached to that, to, 
to who God is. And now let me take you to one of the stories in the Old Testament. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, book of Genesis, is a guy named Joseph. You like Joseph? You know, he's known for the technicolor, you know, coat that he wears and, and things like that. And Donnie Osmond playing, you know, him on Broadway at some point, you know. So that's, you know, what we think about Joseph. But Joseph's life is really pretty remarkable. And if you look in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's a pretty lengthy description of all the things that Joseph goes goes through. Now remember, this description and this this is something that happened 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus. So it's incredible that we actually have this all written out and we have this description of him that's there in a historical setting. And one of the things I really like about the Bible, it's one of the reasons I tell people to read it, is you should read it because it, it, it's accurate and it's real and it, it, it's not a fairy tale. You might not like some of the things you read in it, but that's just what happened. And it has sort of that approach to it so that you and I would understand in our lives that God is with us in real everyday life, sometimes boring life, sometimes, you know, confusing life, sometimes troubled life and problem life. Yeah, that, that's who God is and, and how he works in our life. We don't have to have some imaginary life but God's with us in a real life. And so this is a real story of a young man who was uh, one of the younger sons of a guy named Jacob. And um, if you know Joseph's story, um, Jacob loved Joseph more than the other brothers, and that caused real problems in his family with the other brothers. Here's what it says, and uh, this is Genesis 37. Uh, his story goes all the way to the end, chapter 50 of Genesis. And uh, it says this, Jacob loved Joseph, say this with me, more than, yeah. Anybody, just, just let you know. Anybody here, you were the child that your parents loved more than anybody else? Anybody here? Just a, okay, you wouldn't want to admit it anyway, but you know, it does happen. And uh, unfortunately, that, that was the story of, of Jacob, which you could imagine, you know, how the other brothers feel. And listen, a part of it is that's, that's the race that they have to go through. It's, it's not necessarily, as you're going to look at Joseph's life, you're going to say, oh, man, so he had the favored life. That, well, for a period of time, right? Because it's not always responded to very well by those that, you know, the, by the others. I would tell my kids all the time, you know, when you do well and you win something, you're going to think everybody is going to be happy and excited and want to cheer what you do. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> You found that out? My daughter, I remember she got an award one time and so she was so excited. She thought everybody else was gonna be excited and I had to sit her down. I know I'm the, the one that burst the bubbles. But you know, that's part of being a dad. That's what you're supposed to do. Give me that pen. You know, th let me explain something to you. Not everybody's gonna be as happy as you are. <laughs> Not everybody's gonna be excited that, that you won and they didn't win. And you know, and so she, and she came back the next uh, day from school. She said, dad, you were right. And I said, yes, <laughs> of course. And for, with brothers, oh my goodness, you know? Uh, you know, Joseph is favored. Dad treats Joseph better. Oh, what a wonderful thing. No, they're pretty ticked off about it. And they're, they're angry at Joseph. And it kind of it points them in a certain direction. Look at what it goes on to say. It said he loved them more than any of the children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And it's one of those things where they couldn't even deal with Joseph 
by the time he's a teenager, he's 17 at this time, they can even deal with him, see him, address him, look at him without just being angry and bitter. And then it says the next uh, paragraph to him, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, boy, they loved him all the more. Okay, that's not what it says, is it? You just threw fuel on the fire. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You, you have this dream, and if you want to go back and if you want to read the dream, I mean, it's actually God is giving Joseph a dream, but as Joseph relates it, he relates it with such enthusiasm. And it, and it, it seems to say that Joseph, is, his, his prominence is going to even grow more, and they're, you know, they're not excited about it at all. No, they're even angry about this dream. In fact, he actually even goes, uh, has another dream, goes to his dad and his mom, and he tells them, and his dad even gets mad, but he gets over it pretty quick because he likes Joseph. And then this is what it says. So later on, you know, they're still struggling with all this. Later on in the chapter, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming. Now, this is because um, Joseph stayed at home most of the time. The brothers were out tending the flocks, and they were moving them around to better places to eat. And, and uh, Jacob would send Joseph to sometimes take supplies, check on them. But a lot of what he was doing is, hey, Go check on him. I know they're doing bad things. Come back and tell me the bad things they're doing. That's just kind of how Jacob looked at the other brothers, and, and they kind of fit that bill. He says, so when they saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to do what? Yeah, we're going to get rid of him. Because if we could get rid of Joseph, our lives would be so much better. Really? So you think if you kill your brother, that will take care of the problem, and all of a sudden you'll be loved by your father because you killed your brother, and everything will be so much better. It, think about it. Isn't it funny how we think of things like that? And we just see what we don't like, and we think, man, if I could go in and destroy that or tear that down or get, you know, man, just think about how much better life would be. And we really don't think it all the way through to realize, no, it wouldn't make it better. <laughs> It would only make it worse. It only pile and heap on more. And I, I understand, because if there's somebody you know, here and you're already thinking about the same thing, if I could just get rid of it. Okay, listen, you might want to recheck those thoughts because it won't work out the way, you, the way you think or the way you would like it to work out more than, more than likely. So that's, that's where they were. So as he approached, they plan, made plans to kill him and they say, here comes that what? See, that's not positive. That's negative. Here comes that dreamer. Yeah, he has, and it's his dreams that matter. And, and, and that's, a, that's kind of a slam, you know, to him. They said, come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns. Cisterns were natural, either natural holes in the rock part of the, the wilderness, or they'd been dug out so that when it would rain, it would fill with water and you'd have a place where you could you know, make sure you could find water. We can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his what? Yeah, in other words, we can deal with his dreams. <laughs> we know how to affect those dreams. So instead of killing him, one of the brothers kind of comes up with an idea to sell him instead to some traders. These were uh, Ishmaelites who would uh, take people and sell them especially they're going down to Egypt as slaves and people would buy those slaves, they would get paid for it. So they sell Joseph to be taken down to Egypt, go back of course and tell their father, you know, he, he's been killed. They actually take even his coat, put some 
blood on it from an animal and say, look, you know, unfortunately, and his dad just grieves and grieves. I mean, just in, in, in like in one of those cisterns. I mean, he's just dropped down into a hole in life because of the loss of his favorite, most beloved son. And then later it picks up this story of uh, Joseph a couple chapters later where he is actually sold. And this is what it says in chapter 39. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by, and here's the guy's name, Potiphar. Now, who is Potiphar? He says, Potiphar is an Egyptian officer. In fact, he's not just any Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Potiphar is a very special man. Potiphar is a very powerful man. And I know that, that, that Joseph would not have thought about this at the time. But Joseph doesn't, doesn't just get sold to anybody. He gets sold to someone who is very close to the Pharaoh of all Egypt. Now, the reason I say this is because already there is this kind of question or this wondering. I wonder if that's going to be significant. I wonder if that's going to make a difference. And sometimes when you lose the sense that, that God is watching after you, or you've forgotten who God is, you miss these details. You don't see what God might be doing as he moves you to a place that you don't want to go, but that it might actually be better than where you were before. And that will be true for Joseph's life. Because look in the very next chapter. Here's what he says in verse number two. He says, and, and this, is, this is so pivotal. That's why I underlined it in your outline. The Lord was what? He was with Joseph. So Joseph may have wondered, is God with me? The, the text, the writer is trying to say, but the Lord was with him. And then he's going to go through a lot of things that show you that God was, was with him and why that mattered. But he, he's doing this because he's, he's trying to help us understand the difference in life is not about where you are, who you, know, who you work for. Where you, the difference is this one thing, if, if you understand who God is, is God with you or is God not with you? I think the Bible is pretty clear that God wants to be with us. God makes plans. He does things. And, and that's part of what we go through in life is decide, are we going to run that race with him? Because he wants to be with us. He has plans for us. The problem is we tend to have plans for us also, right? Jo you know, Joseph would have interpreted those dreams in his way. And they might not fit exactly how God is going to get us where he wants to get us in life. And that makes it, you know, so much more of a struggle so many times. So he says, the Lord was with Joseph. So catch this, because the Lord is with him, he succeeded in everything he did. But then he adds this, as he served, because this is what he's doing when he ends up in Egypt, as he served the home of the, his Egyptian, what? Wow. Now think about how that would confuse him. In fact, it might confuse you. Because Joseph looks around and says, yeah, you, I, I work for you know, a guy who works for the Pharaoh. He, he, he doesn't believe in Jehovah. He doesn't believe in the God I believe in. He believes in these Egyptian gods. He's very powerful. Potiphar was probably very arrogant because that was the position that he had. He can do anything he wants to do within reason because of his power. And how is this a good thing that this man now owns me? that this man now owns me. In fact, what he could have done is he could have decided, I'm not gonna cooperate with him in anything he wants to do. Why? Well, because, you know, <laughs> it's not what Joseph does. He serves him. 
In fact, it's, it's an amazing training ground for Joseph. Joseph serves him well. Joseph learns, he grows, and there was a whole lot for Joseph to learn from this very powerful, very highly educated, very accomplished person um, in, in Egypt. So he works for this Egyptian master, and it says in verse number three, guess what? Potiphar, what? He noticed. What does he notice? He knows Joseph's success. He notices Joseph's attitude, how he works, how he applies himself. He notices that there's something different about Joseph's life. He is recognizing that the Lord himself is with him, even though Potiphar doesn't worship or believe or know the Lord, but he knows there's something different about Joseph. There's someone with him. And that is how Joseph is living his life as if God is with him, even though the circumstances of his life and where he is is not what he would have picked in life. He says, Joseph, uh, Potiphar notices this. And he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Wow. I mean, what an impact Joseph's life is already making. And why is his life making this impact? Because the Lord is with him. And because the Lord is with him, he serves his pagan Egyptian master with everything that he can to make him successful, and he becomes more prosperous and more successful because of Joseph. Um, he owns Joseph. He says, this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal assistant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops, his livestock, they flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food he ate. Man, he's like, I have tripped over a gold mine. <laughs> this Hebrew slave, there's something different about him. There's something different about, I guarantee none of the slaves that Potiphar owned served him the way Joseph served him. And so he wanted to know why. He noticed something different about his life. And Potiphar begins to see something about the Lord in Joseph's life. Now here's, here's the struggle with it. Joseph may still have you know, done what we might do. You say, yeah, but it's not right. Not fair, not, not just. Why am I treated this way? Why am I a slave here? He, he still could have carried the bitterness, and I'm sure he did in some ways, of what his brothers did to him in saying my life and the, the direction of my life is gonna be determined by what they did. But Joseph also is learning, no, your life is gonna be determined by what God intends to do in your life. And he's gotta to learn to trust that, hold on to that, run this race with his life, just like you and I have to do the same thing. Now I know you're saying, well, wait a minute, but if, if I did things the way you, you're talking about, nothing would ever change. The world would be a worse place. So, so do the opposite, right? Just look for everything that's wrong, hate everything that's wrong, go after it, stomp it, knock it out, and the world will be a better place, right? <laughs> doesn't work, does it? You may have even tried that or pursued that and realized it doesn't. But it, there's a different focus to him. 
Joseph is looking to the Lord himself to watch after him, to care for him, knowing that God can do what God wants to do. No one can stop him. That it's a whole different allegiance and loyalty, and it affects Joseph's allegiance and loyalty to pagan, Egyptian, powerful Potiphar. That's exactly what it does. It reflects through Joseph's life, even, even to this uh, man. Then the next paragraph, here's, here's the great turning point. Joseph was very handsome. He was a well-built young man. It was clear to Potiphar he was a Texan. Okay, maybe that one, okay, that part, that was not in there, okay. But it says, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully, come sleep with me, she demanded. Now, now let's talk about Potiphar's wife for a minute, because now the equation, everything seems to change, right? I know a lot of people think, and I hear people all the time, um, with, a, with a, how do you say it, a, a, not a good understanding of history who say women have always you know, been in positions of servitude and never had any power, that that is not true. And this is one of those stories that, listen, if you look at this story, Potiphar's wife is one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt. And she uses Potiphar and his power to get what she wants and to do what she wants. She, she is more ruthless probably than he is in how she does things. And when she wants something, will Potiphar refuse her? You just read the story, absolutely not. And she decides, this is what I want. I want the Hebrew slave. And so Joseph's in this dilemma, okay, now what am I gonna do? Because there was none, none of this, it, it, you know, comes into play with Potiphar, but all of a sudden she comes into play and her position and her power, and there's no way I can match that or stand up to this. So he's gonna be caught in this enormous dilemma in his life as far as what do I trust, what do I believe, and, um, and who do I listen to? And so this is what it says in verse number eight. It says, but Joseph refused. Look, he said, and it's great that he tries to reason with her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. Well, except for her, right? But, but no one here has more authority than I do. He said, he has held back nothing from me except what? You. you. That's it. You're the only thing. Because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against, and here it comes again. He brings it back in. It would be a great sin against who? who has watched after him. <laughs> He's put him in this position. He could reason in the culture and say, you know, this would be a smart move because I understand how the Egyptian culture works. This is probably not uncommon at all in the Egyptian culture. And the, and the, 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 the power broking that went on and people, you know. So Joseph could have thought that way, except that Joseph still remembered there's a God in heaven who has watched after my life better plans for my life than I had because he has continued to be with me in the, in the most difficult struggles and difficult situations. So what Joseph is saying is this, how can I in this situation not believe or trust the same thing? And how could I betray the one that God has put me here to serve? I can't do that. 
He trusts me. Wow. If you know the story, she is very powerful. In fact, she goes to her husband when he refuses, and she says, listen, he attacked me. He tried to, to, to uh, when you were gone, to take advantage of me. And she turns him over to Potiphar, and you know what Potiphar does? She's right. Whatever she says, that's the only thing that matters. And it says that he boiled over with anger. He was absolutely furious. And he takes Joseph, and this, again, this, this is such an important part of the story when you read later on. It. He, he takes Joseph and he throws him in jail. It's not just any jail. He oversees a special jail for Pharaoh. It's a political jail. It's people who, are, who kind of live in the elite part of the part of the uh, kingdom and this is a jail for them he throws Joseph in that jail probably because here I can still keep my eye on him I bet Potiphar is still thinking I bet I can still use Joseph because my my whole life has changed with him in it maybe I can still work him and use him in some way to better myself he answers to the jailer before too long he's in charge of all the jail uh, a couple of people who work for Pharaoh the the baker and the butler both fall on the wrong side of Pharaoh they're thrown into jail and and all of a sudden not by name he's not named Potiphar but it names his position the 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 guy that is the bot chief bodyguard for the that oversees the jail takes those two prisoners not the jailer takes them he takes them and he puts them in Joseph's charge you think he's still working it <laughs> of course he is he knows I would rather have Joseph looking over these two and dealing with them um, than I would the, the normal part of the jail because God is still working in Joseph and you know what he finds out Joseph is still just as faithful in this position even though he's been treated wrong once again even though injustice has been there his trust in God his belief that God is working and God is leading him still overcomes all of those things yeah, I think this is so important because I, I guess I would ask this question how about you how about me do we believe and do we trust God to that extent where even when things happen that it's not how we wanted it, it's not what we thought would happen, it's, it's our tendency to say, look, believe in God, trust in God, and God will give you what you want. Well, listen, I would tell you this, the Bible says, believe God, trust in God, and God will give you better than what you want. That's the story of the Bible. It really is. I know you have your dreams and your plans and what you think would be just such a wonderful life, but God's are actually better than that if we allow him to lead us and watch after us and we continue to put our trust in him. We don't, we don't bail on the game, which Joseph could have done, but he doesn't. And if you know the story of Joseph, you know that's exactly what happens to him. He ends up at some point answering some dreams of Pharaoh because Pharaoh is like, you know, got these dreams really upsetting me. Who can, who can answer them? And those two guys, one of them is back and says, well, I know a guy in prison. <laughs> He can answer dreams. And I love it because when, when he has Joseph, I hear that you can answer dreams. And Joseph, again, understands. Joseph says, I can't answer dreams. There's only one who knows. And it's the one that I serve. Tell me your dream. I'll take it to him and we'll see what the, what the answer is. Joseph's not, you know, inflating himself in all this. He still knows who he trusts. And, and of course, if you know, he, he, he does take over. He ends up being the rescuer of his But there's another little part that I just want to throw out because I'm not going through the whole story. I'm finishing uh, here with his life. But there's one other little part. If you look in chapter number uh, 41 of Genesis, if you have a Bible, 
It's, it's not in here. But Joseph, uh, after Pharaoh understands who Joseph is and he gives him this position, um, he gives him a wife. And again, here we go. The wife is actually the daughter of the priest of On. That's the priest of Heliopolis, the Egyptian god of the sun, the, the, his temples and everything else too. That's who she is. And, and with her as his wife, because this is Pharaoh's desire, he, he, works, he works through this, he, he, he goes with this, and two children are born to, to uh, Joseph. And I, I love it because Manasseh and Ephraim end up being very important names later on with the, uh, the people of Israel, but their names meant something to Joseph. Manasseh means to him, you know, God has made me forget my struggles and my difficulties, and he adds, and he's caused me to forget my family. You ever want to forget your family? <laughs> That's Joseph's struggle. He's made me forget my family. You know, and what he means by that, you know, everything that they did to me, everything I've carried with me, you know, he made me realize, no, he's better than that. He's done things that, you know, my family could never do for me. My, you know, I have a family with God himself that it's, it's just better. And then Ephraim comes along, and then he does this. He, he even adds to this. He says, God has made me prosperous in the land of my iniquity or my struggles or my difficulties. Wow. Because that, that may be one of those things that's even bigger for us. Because you, you look at how you know, your, 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 your life is framed or, or dealt with by your culture, and, you, and it's easy to say, not even God can overcome this. Hang on. Joseph says, oh yeah. Even not being my family, not being my land, the place where I was a big deal, I'm a bigger deal here than I was before. I have more here than I had before. And I think Joseph is going through a process. I think he's still running the race. And I think Joseph finishes his race well. And I think near the end, you see this with his brothers. I don't think he has forgiven them here. I think God has continued to change his, his outlook on life because of who God is so that he gets to the point later when his brothers show up in Egypt, which has got to be traumatic. There they are again, right? I've done so well. And they show up again. Joseph's heart and his attitude is totally different toward them than it was before. And it's not because of their, please forgive me, and I did, it's not because of that. It's because of what God has done in his life and how God has watched after him, and how God has continued to cause him to prosper and caused him to forget his distress and, yes, what his family did. He puts that change in his life. I, I, this is not in your outline, but there's a little line there about some of the struggles we go through. So here's what we tend to do. Let me just give you three things real quick. If you wanna write these down, that'd, that'd be great. If you don't, hey, I'll be upset. But here we go. So we tend to get distracted, don't we? We tend to see other things and get into other things and we just miss who God is. And it's, it's understandable. There are a lot of distractions that come up in life. Jesus tells us one parable. We call it the parable of the seeds or the parable of the sower. It's, it's, it's where he, he pictures the gospel as being like seed that a farmer is scattering. And at one point he says the, that some of the seed fell among the thorny ground. And he, and he actually interprets for his followers what this means. He says this means that the gospel falls the, the message about who God is, how much he cares for us. But he says, but the cares, the anxieties, the worries, and the riches of life. It's funny he puts them together. Crowded out, and we forget it. We miss it. 
we don't understand what God is doing. Because those things just distract us. Second thing is we become discouraged. We do. Because it's not working out the way we thought it should work out when what we should be doing is saying, God, show me how you want to work it out, which is what he's doing with Joseph. His plan's a whole lot better. You show me how you want it to work out. And that, that'll help me go through the, the grind and the struggle of everyday life because it is a grind and a struggle. Yeah, no doubt about it. But knowing that you're there and knowing that you have plans and reasons for this, show me that so I don't become discouraged in life. And then the final thing is, what happens is, you know, we really fall to deceit. And we just become deceived thinking, there's not a God. Doesn't really care. You know, God, there's no way he can change this or that or be bigger than this or that. And there's no way he would have plans because I see this is needing to be fixed. And, and he's like, okay, yeah, but I've got plans, you know. And, and we just become deceived or we fall to this, this deceit that God doesn't care, that he's not moving, that he's not working. And the opposite, the opposite is true. It is. Hey, uh, plug for, for a movie. Um, anybody see um, the Jesus Revolution that just came out? Any hands? Good. Okay, a few people, you know. I'll pray for the rest of them. No, it's, it just came out this week, and it's a, it's a great movie. You should go see it because it's, a, it's kind of a, um, a story of a guy named Greg Laurie who is, is still a, uh, a preacher. He's kind of throwback to Billy Graham now that it's still in California. And uh, Chuck Smith, who's passed away, but he started a church that's called Calvary Chapel. It's a great story. 50 years ago, during the Jesus movement, my life, I'm kind of a second or third generation out of that, that came out of that. But it's such a wonderful story. Here's why, let me tell you why I like the movie so much and the story so much. Because they don't sugarcoat it. They don't make it like, you know, they just tell you the good and the bad of the story. Because that's how God works. And he works in the good and the bad of your life. And, and through the struggles of your life, the things you don't like, the things that confuse you, he's, he's, he's not lost his ability or his compassion toward you or toward this world. He just looks for people that will trust him and believe him and you know, keep running the race you know, uh, despite those things. Here's what uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, because Paul was a big one pushing for the same thing. He says in Ephesians 3, verse 13, he says, so I ask you, say this with me, not to become what? I know you said, but how do I do that? He says, I'm just telling you, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't let this take over. He says, because, and he says, here's why you might be discouraged, because of the sufferings I'm going through on your behalf, or the sufferings that you're going through. But he adds, my sufferings are for what? Your glory. And in fact, let me tell you, your sufferings are also for your glory. Just like Joseph's were, because he goes through these things, it makes what God does with his life so much more pronounced. You're like, whoa. And it's because of God working in his life. Or here's uh, one other verse. This is what Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 3 says. If you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary, think about his patience. He's talking about Jesus in this. Jesus' patience as sinful men did such terrible things to him. Yeah, hang on to that. Remember what he went through. And he went through those things so that he could break the hold that sin and death and the enemy has over our thinking and over who we are so that we would understand the future that we have because of who he is and what he's done. Let's pray for it together. And um, just for one moment, I know that uh, there, there, there could be things that, you know, sort of come up in your, in your life and in your thinking. Um, and you say, yeah, I know what you're saying, but... And, and, and listen, if, if it's of God... 
It should challenge us because that's what he does. He challenges us to, to see life differently from the way we would see life if, if he weren't around and if he weren't active and alive and if he didn't have plans. So maybe in, in, in this moment, you know, you would think about, okay, God, here, here are some of those things that discourage me or distract me. You know, you have to live life, but I don't want to miss the race that you have for me, what you want to use my life for, how maybe someone might look at my life and because I trust you, they might say, maybe I could trust him too. Maybe he has plans for me also. And God, would you give us strength? Would you renew us? It's so easy for us to forget, to miss it become discouraged, even fall to, unfortunately, sometimes, to like a pit of deceit, believe the wrong things. We want to trust you, Lord. We want to believe you. If you're here and you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ, it's just hard to go through a Sunday and not say, oh, the opportunity's there. He sent his son into this world so that you would know you are loved, that you have a rescuer. There's a plan for you. Yes, you're a mess. But there's something greater than your mess that wants to live in you and work in you because he has a greater future for you than you could have for yourself. You can say, Lord Jesus, come live in my heart. Thank you. You cared so much for me that you would come and live in this world and go through the same things in this life that I have to face, but, but that you somehow had the power to live a perfect life so that you could offer your life in exchange for mine. Take away my sins. Give me the life that I didn't even realize I was looking for. In Jesus' name I pray.